This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week is a little unusual because we're dealing with some coronavirus issues. <laughs> Usually we try not to talk too much about news and political stuff and all that. Things that aren't dinosaurs. Yeah, we like to just talk about dinosaurs, keep the podcast simple, and a nice little escape from reality potentially, or just insight into dinosaur reality maybe is a better way to put it. But... Sabrina woke up today with a 102 degree fever, so we've slowed some things down and we've simplified the show a little bit. I also want to mention a couple science-based things about coronavirus because there's a lot of misinformation out there, and I feel like since a few thousand people listen to this, it's probably worth it to share some information. So first of all, things you shouldn't do if you have coronavirus or are afraid of getting coronavirus are holding your breath because... There's this weird chain going around saying that if you can hold your breath, that means you don't have coronavirus. This is untrue. The people who supposedly said it have said that they did not ever make that claim. So don't hold your breath. If you think you have symptoms of coronavirus, you need to contact a hospital or whoever your medical provider is like we did today. <laughs> and they'll let you know, you know, they'll ask you a bunch of questions and then maybe test you if you need to be tested or otherwise they'll probably just tell you to stay home isolated from other people so you don't infect other people. Yep. And in our case, we're staying home. Yep. We're in the Bay Area. So there's this mandatory staying home thing happening. So we were already home anyway. But that's really a good idea in general because social distancing, as they call it, helps prevent the spread of it, helps slow down the cases, and therefore it is less overwhelming to the system. So yeah, definitely try to avoid contact with people if you can. A couple other things that you definitely shouldn't do are drink bleach, try to make your own hand sanitizer out of vodka because it doesn't have enough alcohol in it, and also drinking water constantly does not protect you. There's no mechanism to believe that the virus will be washed into your stomach acid by drinking water. Though in general, it's good to stay hydrated. Yes. <laughs> don't don't dehydrate yourself. That, that's definitely not going to help either. I should also say that if you have coronavirus and you're thinking, I need to go out in public, putting on a T-Rex inflatable costume is not proper personal <laughs> protective equipment. <laughs> As the person who did it in Spain this week found out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it also won't really protect you against getting the coronavirus, other than the fact that it would help you not touch your face because it's impossible to touch your face while you're zipped up in that thing. <laughs> Unless you sort of inhale your arm through the suit in a weird way. <laughs> uh, 
That clip, though, is pretty enjoyable. The police in the area posted the video of the person in this T-Rex costume, and they wrote, During the state of alarm, walking of pets is allowed if accompanied by one person. Always short walks so they can relieve themselves. Having a Tyrannosaurus Rex is not covered. Hashtag stay at home. <laughs> and they edited the clip, or somebody edited the clip, to include the theme song from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. Entertaining, but not effective. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, I, I do wonder, it might help a little bit basically from preventing you touching your face, but what happens is it just draws in air through this fan, like a bounce house, you know, it's just constantly pumping in air. So if there's any virus near that, it's just going to get sucked in and blown into your confined space with you. Mm. So that's, yeah, it doesn't help. Yep. That's not great. We are obviously not experts on it, so I'm just going to defer to the CDC on their recommendations. Basically, the number one thing to do is to wash your hands often, count to 20 while you're doing it, scrub under your nails, all around your hands, all that good stuff. And if you don't have soap, alcohol sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol is what they recommend. And then if you can, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth, which is virtually impossible. Everybody does it all the time without thinking about it, which is why washing your hands is so helpful because then there's nothing on your hands to infect yourself with. And then a couple other things that can help you from spreading it to other people if you're sick. Number one is staying home. Number two is covering your coughs and sneezes. And that means with either a used tissue or with your elbow or shoulder. And then number three, I really like, and they already do all over Asia, which is just wearing a face mask if you're sick. And I guess if you have a face mask, because they're pretty hard to get. The U.S., I guess, is sort of getting on this bandwagon, hopefully. I'm hoping it picks up and people start wearing masks when they're sick. It would help a lot in general. Anyway, <laughs> those are the, the general recommendations. And if you have questions, you should definitely look at the CDC or the World Health Organization. Maybe your local municipality has some advice as well. But don't just go online and Google self-help things because there's a lot of misinformation out there. But enough of all that. We want to talk about dinosaurs. <laughs> Yeah, dinosaurs. So this week, rather than having news, well, well, we'll have a little bit of news, but we're not going to do a deep dive into topics because we haven't been getting much sleep and it's hard to think. So <laughs> we're going to review Dinosaur Island, which is a movie we've been intending to review for a few years now, and this seemed like a good chance at it. And we have a dinosaur of the day because we can never go an episode without having a dinosaur of the day. And this week, the dinosaur of the day is Telmatosaurus. But of course, before we get into all of that, we want to thank some of our patrons. And this week, those patrons are Chris, Nicholas, Trent Carbajal, Stefan, Taya, Stego Sophie, Ayumi, Paula Canthus, Jackson Crawford, Sorian Brandy, Mayu, Dino Bo, Mello Stego, Wurgersaurus, Kaylin, Duncan Saurus, Maria Sora, and Daniel McGill. And Maria Sora and Daniel McGill both just joined. So thank you both very much for joining. Yeah, thank you so much to everybody. We really appreciate all of your support. And we really enjoy doing this podcast. And we can do it because of you guys. Yeah. And because we can do it from home. <laughs> yeah, that too. If you want to join our growing community on Patreon, then check out our page at patreon.com slash inodino. So I've got two quick news items before we get into our reviews. And the first one is about a rib fossil 
in Amakusa in the Kumamoto Prefecture in Japan. It's about 100 million years old. It's been found. It's thought to be from the second largest dinosaur that lived in what is now Japan. So you might guess it's a sauropod. Yay. (laughs) This rib fossil is about 16 and a half inches or 42 centimeters long. And scientists think that the dinosaur was about 49 feet or 15 meters long. That's it? Well. And that's the second largest? (laughs) Still pretty big. (laughs) I guess. They originally found the fossil in 1999 during an excavation by Goshora Cretaceous Museum. And at first they thought it was part of the upper arm of an ornithopod. And then in 2013, the museum and Fukui Prefectural Dinosaur Museum, so Goshura Cretaceous Museum and Fukui, found that it was actually the right rib of a sauropod. And so from now until May 10th, both museums will display their findings, and you can see the fossil and reconstructed bone at the Goshura Cretaceous Museum, and you can see a replica of the fossil and reconstructed bone at Fukui Prefectural Dinosaur Museum. Yeah, that's one of my favorite dinosaur museums. Mm-hmm. We missed the Goshura Cretaceous Museum when we were in Japan, though. Yeah, it's hard to get to all of them. We did go to like five in the span of five days, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> The Fukui Museum had some really big sauropods in it, though, so I'm kind of surprised that this would be the second biggest. Maybe those were just like European and American sauropods yeah. that were in there? Yeah, Mementosaurus and Apatosaurus, Chimarosaurus. But I thought the Mementosaurus that was in that time travel room that was also in Kumamoto was from a local area. But maybe that's the biggest, and then this would be the second biggest. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I thought there was also a sauropod from Fukui. We'll have to wait if they publish on this paper, then I'm sure they'll give us a breakdown of how it's the second biggest and you know what's bigger and all that. Right. And then it, it's also how you define big. Is it by weight? Is it by length? Yeah, that's true. It's hard to tell any of that from a rib, though, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so in other um, this one's kind of museum news as well, Paul Serino and Exhibit's Development Group are working together on a couple new traveling exhibitions called Spinosaurus, Lost Giant of the Cretaceous, and Giants, African Dinosaurs. Sure is interesting that both of your news items are about sauropods. How'd that happen? Who knows? (laughs) Just luck of the draw or Mm -hmm. something. Well, this one is about Spinosaurus, too. That's true, yeah. It's not a sauropod. (laughs) So the, the Spinosaurus exhibit will have real fossils and interactive displays, footage from dig sites, and then information about its discovery and, you know, that whole thing about being destroyed in World War II and then rediscovered in Morocco. Was that like 2014? Well, that's when the paper came out. Yeah, it's quite a story. Mm-hmm. So, ha, not a sauropod. <laughs> anyway, African dinosaurs will have original fossils that were found in the Sahara, and they'll include mounted skeletons and life-size replicas And it says that there will be six mounted dinosaurs, but it doesn't mention which ones other than a, quote, monster carcharodontosaurus skull, end quote. And that's also not a sauropod, so I don't know what you're implying, Garrett. I guess when you said giants, African dinosaurs, I assumed there's really only one class of dinosaur that is giants. (laughs) (laughs) Right in the name, titanosaurs. Exactly. But they're talking about, I guess, giant for a meat-eating dinosaur, not giant overall. A lot of dinosaurs are just subjectively giant. Compared to us, yes. Yeah. So now we're going to jump into our review segment, the rare segment on I Know Dino. 
where we review things. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because we've gotten mixed reviews. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first, we're going to talk about Dinosaur Island, which I watched the entirety of, but Sabrina is very sick, so she watched a small amount of. No, I, I got until I checked because we paused at some point and I saw, oh, there's 40 minutes left. So I got Okay, you got about half. Yeah. That's pretty good. But this will be better because that way I can explain it to you and you can ask me questions that are obvious to you that maybe our listeners have too. We should mention we watched it on Amazon Prime. I noticed when we were in Australia and New Zealand, it was available on Netflix. So kind of just depends which country you're in where you can watch it. Yeah, it was free with a Prime subscription. So there's probably places you can watch it for free. It's not exactly a blockbuster, so I don't think it's too difficult to find. The movie came out way back in 2014, so... It's made its rounds, and it has some really cool art with it. They made a, a nice poster, sort of a T-Rex chomping at a couple people on an island, mm -hmm. and we saw some pictures of it with some nice feathered dinosaurs, which made us want to watch it too. Yep. I did enjoy the dinosaurs I saw. Also, the plants they had some really creative oh, yeah. plants. Yeah. But before we get too much into it, I'm just going to give a general overview, which is spoiler free, <laughs> and then we'll get more into it. So in case you want to watch it in general, it follows a boy named Lucas, who's 13 years old, and I think he's in Australia. It's a lot like the movie My Pet Dinosaur in that it's clearly Australian, but then every once in a while they try to make it look like it's in the US for some reason. Oh, well, it said it was a British Australian film. Okay. It's, it's one of these weird, like, they're America, Britain, Well, there was Australia. a lot of American references, which was interesting. Yeah, like they talk about the CIA and stuff. There's an American flag in one scene for some reason. It's very strange. But in any event, it's an English-speaking country with a boy named Lucas. And he's very smart. And in the beginning, he's doodling a Godzilla in his class, and he's he makes himself known as a budding geologist which is useful if you end up near dinosaurs. And apparently the actor who played Lucas was also in My Pet Dinosaur. Hmm. It's a weird connection. He wasn't the main character, but he's in the credits. Maybe that's his niche. Poorly reviewed <laughs> Australian dinosaur movies. Could oh, is be. it poorly reviewed? Yes. Oh, no. It's reviewed, I think it has a 3.5 on IMDb, whereas My Pet Dinosaur is a 3.9. Mm. Both not great reviews. I actually like this one a little bit better. And the other main character is a 15-year-old girl named Kate, who's really into paleontology. But as she points out at some point, since dinosaurs are alive around her, it's not really correct to call it paleontology because they haven't been paleoed yet. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, it's interesting. In the beginning, the cinematography I thought was really good, where they're just showing the kids in their classes and sort of going about their day. And then when they get to the island, it looks like they just put all the effort into making dinosaurs look good. So the dinosaurs look pretty good. They still don't look great, but they're interesting to look at. But everything else looks pretty bad, like the scenery and the kids and everything are like done on a shoestring budget, it looks like. There are also some issues with the audio mixing where sometimes the music is way too loud and you oh, can't yeah. like hear what they're saying. Well, it's hard to hear. That first scene reminded me a lot of Harry Potter too because the music sounded similar. <laughs> yeah. And they're in like British style classroom with the... Well, they're in Australia at that point. I think so, yeah. And there's one girl who seems like she was meant to be a Hermione type. Yeah. 
kind of knows everything, <laughs> always raising her hand, frustrated when other people answer. Yep. On that note, the dialogue with everything in the movie is just terrible. If you watch the movie, just ignore the fact that they're talking and wait for the next dinosaur to show up because <laughs> the dialogue is really, really terrible. The rest of the movie actually isn't that bad compared to the dialogue, but the dialogue is really bad. So that's basically the gist of it. I think I, I gave it a five out of 10 because I thought the dinosaurs were good and everything else was terrible. So kind of in the middle of the road. I don't think I can rate it because I fell asleep. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> You were awake for more of it without dinosaurs than with dinosaurs, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I kept waiting for the dinosaurs and then, yeah, just couldn't keep my eyes open. It wasn't because the movie was bad or anything, just, yeah. It probably didn't help, but yeah. Oh, well, I didn't think it was bad, but anyway. So now I'm going to get into some spoilers. So if you want to watch this movie, you should probably pause this and watch the movie first, but there's a good chance you're not going to watch it. So I'm just going to go into it. The setup of the main part of the movie is that the boy Lucas gets this crystal from his grandma or great aunt Catherine's house, and then he gets on a plane for a trip, and somehow the combination of the crystal being on an airplane and lightning means that he's alone on a shore of an island that has dinosaurs on it. He gets transported mysteriously. Yes, it's very strange. He later finds out that cargo planes without people randomly show up on this island as well as like boats and all sorts of things, but it's always just supplies. There's no people. It seems like the reason that there's no people is just because it's a kid's movie and they don't want to have like dead people everywhere. So they just sort of made this thing that makes no sense about, hey, everybody's happy and safe somehow, even though their planes are coming crashing into this island. Oh, so they never explained what no. happened to them? Okay. No, never. <laughs> never explained where any of the people went, other than the fact that there just weren't people. So it wasn't a problem, other than him who showed up there. So I'm not going to really go through the whole story between him and Kate, but Kate finds him on the beach and they start hanging out together and she explains what's going on on the island. Eventually, they kind of randomly get kidnapped by a group of Vanuatuan boys. <laughs> Oh, yeah. None of this made sense to me. It didn't. That's why I'm not even going to go into it. But this is kind of important for the dinosaur part of the plot. But I think that they were speaking complete gibberish. They did that thing where it's like the native people that don't speak any real language thing that's really cringeworthy. But they might have been speaking Bismala, which is a language that's really close to English. It's like a Creole language. But I don't think that's actually what they were speaking because it sounded too different. And on IMDb, there were people saying that they were encouraged to speak like pidgin English, hmm. which might be Bismala, but I don't, I don't think it is. I think it'd be cool, though. I don't know why they didn't just have them figure out that they were in Vanuatu and have this whole thing where like some of the people who lived on that island were transported to this time or whatever. But instead, they just made it vague, and weird and less interesting. I always think it's more fun when you include like a little bit of reality in it. And Vanuatu is in the right place. It's northeast of Australia. So if he was going on vacation to the US or Hawaii or something, you'd fly right over it if you were coming from Australia. So it would like work perfectly. That's actually where they film too. The US or Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the people is from the 40s before it was the US. Oh, so I maybe see. that works. <laughs> wasn't it technically part of the US? It just wasn't a state. It could be. I don't know. I don't know my Hawaiian <laughs> history well enough. 
but these Vanuatuan boys put them in cages randomly. There's like no explanation whatsoever. And in one of the cages, there's some random man who tells them about singing stones, which is what he calls the boy's crystal that allows time travel. And the old man, I say old, but he's just old relative to them. He's really (laughs) middle-aged, just whistles. And then an old coin appears in Lucas's hand next to the crystal. So I don't know why it only works on this island. It seems like if this crystal has this power, whenever anybody's whistling with quartz around, there should be just coins popping up everywhere and different stuff. Or other things. Yeah, all sorts of time travel happening. But that is not explained at all. But they realize because of this, they need to climb into this large quartz volcano cave and then use that quartz to transport themselves back to their time. So that's kind of the whole setup for now. They're going to have to go interact with all these dinosaurs. Okay. So this is around the point where I fell asleep. They escaped on some pterosaurs and the pterosaurs flew them to the volcano or near the volcano. Yes. Okay. So they broke open this cage after they, all they had to do to get out of their cage was climb out of the top because there's no top on it. Then they open this other cage that has a whole bunch of like Asdarkid type, you know, like Quetzalcoatlus type huge pterosaurs in it. And then they hop on a baby one, which is all fluffy with proto feathers, yeah. which I thought was kind of cool and fly off into the distance. Well, I really liked how they showed them running first. Yeah, they're kind of galloping using yeah. their wings. It was cool. That like, was one of the elements that was really nice. And they had some nice colors, and they also didn't have feathers on the adults, but they did on this one baby. Well, which, fuzz. Yeah, like proto feathers. It, it looked pretty good. I actually kind of enjoyed it. There were some reviews saying that they looked terrible, but maybe that's just because we're dinosaur people, so we don't know what about them was wrong. <laughs> right. But I thought they looked kind of cool. And I liked that they showed them sort of leaping using their hands slash wings rather than just taking off like a bird. Mm -hmm. It was kind of funny. One of the only good pieces of dialogue in the whole movie is Lucas saying he picked the one that had the fuzz on it because he thought feathered things could fly, whereas the other ones couldn't. But getting into the dinosaurs that they encounter, because that's the real name of the game here, a lot of the things are sort of cassowary colored. I would say bright blues and reds seem to be the dominant colors on this island. So there's these cassowary colored theropods that are vaguely Jurassic Park raptor-like, but they don't seem to have any sickle claw. They show a lot of close-ups of their feet and they just look like a smaller T-Rex foot basically with like three toes on the ground. But later they specifically call them dromaeosaurs and raptors and things, but they gave them regular feet. It was very strange. I'm not sure why they don't give it a sickle claw because they do have another dromaeosaur, which is a Sinornithosaurus, and they gave it some kind of name because it liked to mimic things like a lyre bird. So it's like a really competent mimic, and it sort of has these lassie-like moments where it <laughs> makes noises. And, oh, lets them know when they're in trouble? Yeah, it's like yelping when something's going on, like to wake them up and things like that. Oh, that's funny. I liked it in the beginning when they introduced it. There's this one short scene where... Kate and Lucas are are looking at something, I don't remember what, and the Sinornisosaur is playing with these like fireflies or things that are like fireflies, and they're all coming around. It, it squishes one, and then a bunch of them start to encircle it, and it gets a little afraid, and then just jumps into a bowl of water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they made it incredibly intelligent. At, at one point, it looked like Kate was sort of communicating with it, like they were talking back and forth which was very lassie weird, but 
I don't know. That only happened one time kind of randomly, but they did do a pretty good job with that when they showed it climbing a tree and then sort of gliding over to them because it's in the Microraptor group. So maybe it could do that. I don't know. It doesn't have that much of feathers compared to some of the other ones, but gliding maybe is in the realm of possibilities. But for some reason, that sickle claw did not make it onto the quote-unquote raptors slash dromaeosaurs. But they did give the dromaeosaurs some interesting behavior. In the beginning, Kate explains to Lucas that they're coming after him because he's wearing a blue shirt. Hmm. And they want their blue shirt for a mating display. (laughs) They're collecting blue stuff for a nest like some modern birds do. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And then later, though... It gets a little ridiculous because the dromaeosaur has the cynornithosaur in its mouth, which it's not dead. It's just like holding in its mouth for some reason. And Kate tricks it into dropping its food and then jumping off a cliff by sort of holding a blue book out like a matador and like getting it to run after it, which seems just a little extreme, especially considering the cynornithosaur was way more blue than the right. book that she was holding. It's like, what? what is even happening? This is crazy. Or it was just greedy. Yeah, maybe. But it kind of threw the thing in its mouth over to the side. It's like, I'm done with this. I need that, not that blue book mm. that this woman is dangling way over a cliff. It was a better shape, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I suppose they do have weird selection criteria sometimes. Some of the other dinosaurs that have cameos... Are, there's a hadrosaur, although I think you only hear it. I don't think you ever actually no, see no, it. No, no, you see a, a herd of hadrosaurs. I thought those were iguanodon. Oh, you're right. They're iguanodon. Never mind. Yes, but with the hadrosaurs, they hear it and Lucas thinks it's a cow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they did make it have a cow sound. Cows of the Cretaceous. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. With the iguanodon herd, they encounter a quote-unquote 10-day-old, which looks like it's about 10 feet long. Yeah. I don't know why they said it was 10 days old, like any animal would ever be that big, unless it was an elephant. But they come out of little tiny eggs. There's no way. It's 10 days old. Maybe on that island. (laughs) Some special food. It It time-traveled back and, yeah. (laughs) But the real star is definitely the T-Rex, as always. It's also colored red and blue. It's sort of mostly blue, and then it's got a lot of red in its face and like around its eyes, and it kind of has red eyes too. I thought it looked really cool when it's covered in feathers like that, but almost everyone who reviewed it said it looked terrible and they hated it. So I don't know if it's just bias against feathered tyrannosaurs or if it's that it was too brightly colored or what it is about it, but it's not that different than a lot of paleo art that is considered pretty accurate. So I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. I I enjoyed seeing the feathered T-Rex. Well, this movie came out in 2014. I don't remember when we started talking more about feathered T-Rex. I think at that time, most people considered it feathered because that would have been after we found Euteranus, which is the ancestor that had feathers. But before some of these papers where they were showing skin impressions from around T-Rex without feather impressions. Maybe that's one of those not my T-Rex. Yeah. It might be, but it also, some of the animation, people talked about how it looked like they were moving without weight, which is a common complaint of CGI, which isn't that well done. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was generally true with the T-Rex. Plus, it did do a lot of just standing there and roaring at things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rather than actually trying to hunt something. That happens in a lot of movies. It does, but it 
made the T-Rex go from scary to just sort of like it would stand there roaring and then they could easily run away from it because it was so far away from them by the time it started chasing. But could it see them when they weren't moving? So it was kind of funny. The kid actually said, you know, don't move. It can't see us. And then Kate is like, where'd you get that idea? It definitely is looking (laughs) right at us. But at that point, it's just staring at them and they're staring back at it and then they run away and then it just continues to stand there and then starts roaring and chasing them. Mm. It's like, well, which is it? (laughs) Can it see them? Because if it can, why is it trying? It was debating whether it was worth going after. Maybe it could be. I mean, it had been chasing them before that, I thought, too, though. Mm. So it was pretty weird. They did show it kind of sniffing, too, like it was hunting with its smell, which was kind of neat. And then eventually, they kind of get away from the T-Rex by climbing onto a boat, which is teleport slash time traveled there. And their lyre bird, Cynornithosaur, makes this big roaring T-Rex noise that it can't see. So it thinks there's another T-Rex and runs away, Yeah, which is kind of fun. And of course, the T-Rex makes noises almost identical to Jurassic Park because that's how T-Rex sound now, according to everybody. (laughs) They have to roar all the time with that. Was it a combination of a whale, a tiger, a a lion? Uh, I can't remember all the animals. (laughs) It's just a whole bunch of like crazy noises smashed together. Maybe an elephant in there. All the noises. That'd be funny if at some point we were able to find out what T-Rex sounded like. We found out it could mimic other animals. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. That'd be so cool. I wonder what it would mimic. It would probably do like mating calls of different animals or something to, to lure, lure them the in. prey. Oh, yeah. That would make it a more terrifying predator. <laughs> yeah. But you'd have to do it just like a couple of times and kind of hide off to the side mm-hmm. and hope something shows up. Couldn't hide very well. No. Especially not if it was bright red like it was in this. Right. But most predators aren't that brightly colored, so I guess maybe that's a valid criticism. There are a couple other animals in there. There was a Arthropleura, I think is how you pronounce it, which is this giant arthropod. In the movie, it was over 10 feet long and had venom glands. I had to look it up. The length is actually probably about right. The biggest ones, I think, were like 10 feet long. Yeah. Like two and a half meters. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. Uh, looks like kind of a giant flattened centipede sort of thing. And for a while, people thought it was a predator. But I guess now, mostly, we think that it was more like a giant millipede and ate plants. So it's probably the scariest thing in the movie, actually. <laughs> this Arthropleura, because they sort of rear up and they're in front of them and they just look so freaky. Just so many legs. Yeah, it's just creepy. They get saved by their Asdar kid because they're always just getting saved by these friendly versions of dinosaurs and pterosaurs that they meet. But obviously in real life, they wouldn't have to worry about it because it'd just be munching on a leaf or something. Well, if they got in its way, maybe it would hurt them. Millipedes, they don't bite or sting, but they do apparently have some chemical defenses or secretions that could be unpleasant. So if it was 10 meters long, maybe it could really (laughs) surround the area in some nasty fluids you wouldn't want to be in. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. And then other than the firefly type bugs that you mentioned that were glowing, there weren't really any other bugs in the movie, which is very fortunate for them because, man. That might be the hardest thing about surviving in a place like that. Yes, there'd be some nasty bugs. But the way they sort of show it as like one thing teleporting in at a time, Mm -hmm. then I guess, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. It just so happens that it teleported in all the greatest hits. Like (laughs) you've got like T-Rex, there was like a stegosaur that they showed in passing, Triceratops, Pachycephalosaur, 
Parasaurolophus from all over the world too, you know, just like all the most exciting ones. There was something that looked kind of like a Tiktaalik and there were some <laughs> Ammonites. <laughs> Everything exciting you might want to see was there. That's a good way to bring them all together. Yeah. Highly unlikely, but I guess. Well, what's the likelihood of being teleported back in time? With a crystal? Yeah. Very low. That's kind of what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> there are also some really weird plants, which have no basis in reality, and I don't know why they're in there. Oh, yeah, they're plants with eyes. There were a lot of plants with eyes, like all sorts of eyes. Like some of them basically had a leaf full of eyeballs, and they would look at them and be super creepy, and then like giant Venus flytraps. Yeah, those Venus flytraps actually looked kind of like birds to me. They're super weird. It reminded me of the evil dead. <laughs> it's like the vines dragging people through the woods. That was the sort of level of reality that was happening in that part of the movie. But in the end, obviously, they make it into their crystal cave. And what ends up happening is their mimic sign ornithosaur can make the right frequency with its mouth mm. to send them back to exactly when they need to be, which it does to both of them at once, but they end up in different times. And then it turns out, twist, that the crystal that he got from his great aunt slash grandma, I can't remember which, ends up being Kate's and that's his relative. Oh, I think it's his grandma. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It and is. then she gets the Nobel Prize for science. Huh. As you they know, do. What's also interesting, she's quite maternal to him when he first gets there. Yeah. Make sure he has food and a place to sleep. Yeah, you expect it to be sort of a love story, but then I guess that's why they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to make it like back to the future. <laughs> have that whole creepy moment. But it's kind of cool. I'd say if you want to see some a version of a fluffy T-Rex, it's probably worth checking out. And the sign or the store is kind of cool, too. Even the plants. It's very pretty. Just watch it on like Amazon or Netflix and just skip around to the different dinosaurs. And when it's getting boring and they're just chatting and terrible dialogue, skip ahead a little bit. Get to the next dinosaurs. That's not so bad. Could be a good thing to do while you're social distancing. And another good thing to do might be checking out the comic called Darby the T-Rex, which is incredibly graphic. While Dinosaur Island is clearly geared towards kids, this Darby the T-Rex comic is very much geared towards adults and is incredibly violent and oh, graphic. Yeah. There's a parental advisory. Yeah. It says the misadventures of a bloodthirsty baby T-Rex. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good tagline, isn't it? It is. <laughs> It's a it's pretty enjoyable though. I've gotten through like four of them. I don't know how many there are. There's a ton of them uploaded onto this Webtoons website. We'll have a link to that. So yeah, if you want to get in there and see some crazy dinosaur gore and stuff, it's pretty enjoyable. <laughs> they cover a lot of different dinosaurs and interactions and stuff. And it's free. So I think it's worth checking out. They're also colorful. Yeah. I think they're vaguely similar colors too, like a lot of blue and red going on. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions. 
and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now onto our dinosaur of the day, Telmatosaurus, which was a request from Wiser via our Patreon and Discord. So thanks. It was a hadrosaurid that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Romania, and it was pretty small. It's considered to be one of those dwarfs, the insular dwarfism. It was about 16 feet or 5 meters long and weighed about half a ton. Telmatosaurus was an herbivore, and it had maxillary teeth that were high and narrow. It lived on an island, one of the islands of the European archipelago. These Haytag Island dinosaurs were insular dwarfs. They were smaller than other dinosaurs because they didn't really need to eat as much and they could live with limited resources on the island. And it helped that there weren't really any large predators on this island. The predators there included Balar, which was about six and a half feet or two meters long. Telmatosaurus lived among mammals, pterosaurs, amphibians, crocodilians, and fish. Franz Nopsha is the one who named the dinosaur and came up with this idea of island dwarfism. And Telmatosaurus was actually the first dinosaur that he named. It's the best-known European hadrosaurid, and its genus name means marsh lizard. So what happened is local peasants brought his sister, Ilona Nopsha, a dinosaur skull in 1895, and they found it in Transylvania near the Nopsha family estate. The holotype is a skull with lower jaws, and it was found in the Hayteg Basin. It was about 68 million years old. And because of this skull, Franz studied paleontology at the University of Vienna. He named the skull Limnosaurus transylvanicus in 1899, and that name means swamp lizard and refers to this idea that hadrosaurs lived in swamps. Later, though, he learned that Othniel Charles Marsh had named a crocodiliform Limnosaurus in 1872, though that was later reclassified as Pristichampsis. So in 1903, Franz renamed his dinosaur to Telmatosaurus. Barnum Brown, however, didn't know about this new name and then named the genus Hecatosaurus in 1910, and that's now considered to be a junior objective synonym. So Franz referred Telmatosaurus transylvanicus to Orthomerus in 1915 as Orthomerus transylvanicus. 
as the third orthomerous species, and that genus name means straight femur, and this was based on similarities in the femora. Orthomerus is considered to be a gnomum dubium, though, as of 2019. It doesn't have unique traits based on the lectotype, which is a right thigh bone. Tomatosaurus was considered its own genus earlier than that. In the 1980s and 90s, David Weishampel and others said that in the 1990 book, The Dinosauria. If Tomatosaurus and Orthomerus were the same, Tomatosaurus would be a junior synonym, because it was named later. But geologist Eric Mulder forgot this rule and renamed Orthomerus doloi as Tomatosaurus doloi in 1984. So lots of confusions around names here. <laughs> Seriously. But at the end of the day, Orthomerus is probably not valid, and therefore Tomatosaurus is the right name. Yes. At least that's what we're saying now. Yes. Could always change. True. So skeletal elements of Tomatosaurus have been found scattered and isolated, as well as they found the holotype skull and lower jaws, and four articulated cervical vertebrae and three sacral vertebrae with two sacral ribs. Hatchlings and embryos have been found with clutches of megalolithid eggs in the Hayteg Basin. Telmatosaurus eggs have been found in Livizzi and Poita in Romania in the Terahateguluai area. It's considered to be likely Telmatosaurus eggs by researchers from the University of Bucharest. That's cool. Mm -hmm. In 2016, Mihai Dambrava and others published about a non-cancerous tumor, ML blastoma, on the lower jaw of a juvenile Tomatosaurus, and this was the first discovery of a benign tumor in a dinosaur. And before that, this kind of thing had only been known in modern mammals and reptiles. And Garrett thoroughly covered this back in episode 87. Yeah, paleopathologies. <laughs> This tumor on Telmatosaurus shows that hadrosauroids were more prone to tumors than other dinosaurs. Telmatosaurus is the most basal hadrosaurid and was isolated from sister taxon and other hadrosaurids for at least 15 million years, probably because it lived on an island. And the tumor is early in the family's evolution. It's possible that the tumor led to the dinosaur's early death. It may not have been painful, but based on modern animals, predators often go after the weaker injured, so... Yeah, it could be hard to chew, too, if it's an injury on its jaw. Oh, true. It's hard to say, though, since only the two lower jaws were found. But if you'd like to see Tomatosaurus, the fossils are now at the Natural History Museum in London. Not sure if they're on display, though. Oh, good point. But they're there. <laughs> Depending on your credentials, you might be able to see them, for sure. And our fun fact of the day is that Alberta has almost 10 times as many dinosaur discoveries on the paleobio database as all the other territories and provinces in Canada combined. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I thought there'd be more in Saskatchewan and British Columbia, well, that it wouldn't be so lopsided. We've talked to a few paleontologists who excavate there, and they're saying that it's kind of up-and-coming places for paleontology. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the future, in a few years, it'll be less lopsided, but for now. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So in case you're wondering, especially for comparison to the other week when we talked about in the US, Alberta has almost 1,300 fines. It has 1,296, which is more than any state in the US too. It's also way bigger though. So mm -hmm. it's kind of an unfair advantage. <laughs> the long distant second is British Columbia with 63 
and a large number of those are footprints. Wow, yeah, that is very lopsided. Yeah, then Saskatchewan has 58, Nova Scotia has 29, Yukon has 21, Nunavut has 5, and the Northwest Territories have just one, which is a Pachyrhinosaurus. And all the other territories have zero. So there's no no finds in Ontario or Quebec or New Brunswick, Manitoba, Prince Edward Island or Newfoundland and Labrador. Interesting. Yeah. So if you're in Canada and you want to be a paleontologist, you pretty much got to be in Alberta. <laughs> or maybe that means you don't want to be in Alberta because that's where all the work's already been done and you want to go out on your own in British Columbia or Saskatchewan, which have the right age rocks, but just not as many people looking there. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Rain or shine, we're churning them out every week. And hopefully we'll release on time next week. But depending on how this goes, how our sicknesses progress, (laughs) we might be a little late. So cut us some slack. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to join our growing community on Patreon and Discord, then check out our page, patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Thanks again, and until next time.